What up, Oasis? Uh, as Brennan said, my name is Ben. I'm the Multiplication Networking Pastor here at Grace Point. And I'm excited to share with you tonight in our third week talking about what does it look like to love our family well. Um, when I was 18 years old, I had just graduated high school, which is probably when most people graduate high school. Uh, and I, for months, probably could argue maybe for years, was excited for the moment that I could leave my home. And so I get to graduation weekend, I somehow graduated high school, and I couldn't wait to leave my home. I couldn't wait to get away from the things in my life that were creating not just stress or anxiety or worry, but depression and unhealthiness. You see, I grew up in what some people would call a dysfunctional family. There was alcoholism, uh, there was abuse on many levels, mainly verbal and emotional. There were moments of time and time again, over and over fighting and yelling and frustration, a lot of anger, a lot of blame, a ton of shame and guilt. And my plan to fix all of that was thinking, I just need to graduate and leave my home, was to separate completely. Because if I separated, then I never had to deal with any of that stuff ever again. Now, any psych major in here knows that that is garbage. (laughs) Because what I didn't realize as an immature, emotionally infant 18-year-old was that I was bringing everything that I was struggling with, dealing with, wanting to run away from with me into college. So I get to Brookings. I literally leave the weekend of graduation because I couldn't wait. I stayed with a friend here in Brookings. Um, I actually stayed at his brother's fraternity, partied all summer, uh, started school, and then met a couple guys across the dorm who loved Jesus and invited me to church. And it was really annoying. Because <laughs> church, relation, relationship with Jesus, religion, faith, a zero part of my life. But all of a sudden, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through their kind of persistence, but also showing me what love is, I eventually said yes, came to Oasis a long time ago in 2006. That night said yes to Jesus and then continued on this journey and path to figure out what does it look like to really follow Jesus? And an aspect and part of that is the classic command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, one of the neighbors that we have is our family. And so when I heard that, I thought, yeah, but you don't know what I went through with my family. You don't know the things that happened to me, the conversation I had, the hurt that was there, the abuse that happened with my family. And you are telling me, and I was yelling like at this small group later, you're telling me that I have to love my family? And he goes, no, Jesus is telling you you have to love your family. And so I went on this journey. And I'm still on this journey of what it looks like to love my family well. So I'm excited to share one, one case, one because I feel like maybe my story might relate with some of your story of, you know what, it's really hard to love family well. But also I'm excited to share because some of you grew up in what are, you could argue are kind of functional, like healthy families, and yet you still have struggle maybe loving your family well. And that's okay, and here's why. Since God had fathered uh, Adam and Eve, since he created them from the dust, no family has been perfect. I'm sorry to break the news. I didn't know if you knew that. No family has been perfect. I mean, you started the the very first family, Adam and Eve, sin. They get kicked out of their home. 
right? Like just dysfunction, frustration. They have two children. Well, the first two, Cain and Abel, and they had a great relationship, right? They killed, one of them killed the other one. Like sibling rivalry bore out of the first family. And one of the most prominent families in the Old Testament, you have Abraham, uh, Isaac, you have Jacob, and, and this whole family is littered with, I mean, Abraham being married to multiple wives. He has two wives, Sarah and Hera, and they fought over who's going to bear whose children. Uh, there was rivalry, sibling rivalry between Jacob and Esau, and it was super dysfunctional. The record of even Jacob's 12 kids is littered with deception and jealousy, envy. David, one of the most loved people in all of the Old Testament, dysfunctional family, adultery, murder, children who wanted to kill him and overthrow him. I mean, the, the, the Bible, not just the Bible, the entirety of human history is littered with dysfunctional families. Jesus' family. Jesus is sitting around a bunch of people uh, in, in Nazareth, and his, his mom and his brothers, uh, they come up and, and they want to talk to Jesus. And Jesus says, no, the people I'm sitting with, my friends, the people here who are not my blood family, they are my family. And just think like that had to have created some weird tension, awkwardness. No family is perfect. And that's okay. Family doesn't have to be perfect. And I would probably argue that not every family, probably most families, aren't crazy dysfunctional like the families we read in the Bible. I would argue most families and most homes, most parents, uh, most siblings don't grow up with evil intent and malice to want to like hurt and destroy each other. Most families, you could maybe argue, are really good at actually resisting evil influences fairly well. And yet still all families to some level have a little dysfunction. And maybe it's like, grew up in a family like mine where dysfunction is really easy to notice and see, or maybe you grew up in a family like my wife where it wasn't as easy to see. But as some of it was still there. Or maybe you, and I wouldn't have added this until a conversation I had this past week. You grew up and got passed around home by home growing up in a foster family. And so to even hear the words of scripture to say, love your family well, honor your father and mother, are words that are like blades and knives to your soul. And that's hard. A lot of what it looks like to recognize that we can love our family well is to understand that there's a challenge in it. It's really difficult to love family well because in the midst of being asked as followers of Jesus to love our family well, we're navigating our own dysfunction. The known hurt, wounds, and trauma that we have and the unknown things that get brought up out of random based off maybe a conversation. And why it's really hard to love family, why it's really challenging sometimes, is because those wounds and those hurt and that dysfunction, some of that is caused by the family that God is asking us to love. So most people in here, college students, young adults, you are very new. Um, it's been a very short time where you've been away from your family back home. 
And maybe you've already experienced some of what it is to really try to figure out how do I love my family well. Maybe some of you in here came to know Jesus for the first time within the last semester, few weeks, a couple years. And you have to go back to a family or home during the summer or holidays, Christmas vacation, and figure out into a family that maybe they don't want anything to do with Jesus. Figure like, how do I love my family well in this? Or maybe some of you come to college and you're like my wife, where grew up in a Christian home, had parents like, and, and, and these are my in-laws, and I love my in-laws. I, I think Deanna, my mother-in-law, might be the greatest human being on the planet. She may be the most gentle, like kind human. My father-in-law might be the most generous. Not kidding. And yet there are still things, unintentionally, that Abby received, whether even on her own fault or because of what has been happened to her, what she didn't get growing up, that she brought into college and then had to figure out what it looked like to love her family well. The goal in loving our family, uh, even in all of our stories, is not to compare how bad each family was, but discern well where we came from, which can ultimately help us love the ones that we've been given. And that's how I'm defining family. Like, you can choose your friends, you can choose your spouse, you can choose your church. You're above family, you don't get to choose, you're given them. So when I say family, that's what I mean. Those relationships in our life that have been given to us, that we were born into, that we had no control over. And there's a lot of things that happen as we grow up, a lot of issues that can get brought up of why it's really challenging to love our family well. And they're not always obvious ones. The obvious one's like, okay, toxic personality, right? Like narcissists, people who have issues with anger management, toxic personalities that, that, that whether intentionally or unintentionally create abuse within the home, within the family, physical, emotional, or spiritual. And that's hard. What's harder to recognize is that there's also clashing personalities. So one of the issues that a lot of us grow up in is we have siblings who are very different than us and it becomes really, really hard to love them because they're not like us. They have a different view of the world. They have different passions and giftings. Maybe one's an extrovert, one's an introvert. And we don't learn what it means or looks like to be in relationship with personalities that are clashing, that are different. So we grow up either having resentment because we've never learned ultimately how to have good relationship with our siblings. Or maybe it's with a parent. Or maybe it's with a cousin. Or maybe it's with an aunt and uncle. Or maybe it's with a grandparent. And it's not even a toxic thing. It's literally just because they're different. And then we bring that and we leave the home and we come into college and we start having a relationship with people and all of a sudden it's like, I never learned how to have a healthy relationship with my family to love them well when they were different. So then I bring that in and don't know how to have a healthy relationship with who I'm choosing to be my friends now. There's other obvious issues that kind of easily can get brought up. I mean, it's uh, communication. I, I, I would love to know a family that grew up with having really perfect, healthy communication. I don't know of any. Lack of, poor communication creates distrust in relationships. Poor communication ultimately leads to conflict. And no one does conflict well. <laughs> Didn't know if you knew that. And I would argue, like, there are personalities in people where whether it's learned, whether it's like genetic, whatever it may be, nature, nurture stuff, I don't know, probably both, where you either learn to fight conflict and enter into it or you uh, flee and run away. And poor communication is the foundation of entering the conflict and a lot of us don't know how to do conflict, so then we bring that in. For me, um, before I married my wife, my mother-in-law, who did a lot of prayer counseling at the church that they went to, uh, gave me a book called Emotionally Healthy Church. And it was her very gracious way of saying, 
you have a lot of baggage in your life that you're bringing into relationship with my daughter. You need to read this book and figure it out. <laughs> Legitimately. She didn't say that, but giving me the book was like, this is what she was saying. And she was right. Because I grew up doing things really dysfunctionally. So she gave me this book and I started reading it and I read it. And there are things that I got like freedom from. But one of the things that I didn't realize until the book showed me was I did conflict in a really unhealthy, aggressive way. Conflict's not bad. But it's because poor communication, lack of communicating good expectations led to ultimately tension and, and, and dysfunction and ultimately led to conflict. And the way that we did conflict in my house is we just yelled. The loudest person won the argument. Not a good way to do conflict. Not a good way. But we all grown up in these families. Like, we learn these things that ultimately create unhealthy aspects of how to live life and have a relationship with people. And a lot of them is learned from our family of origin. And then for me, it was really hard for me not to just get bitter and frustrated with my parents. And it became a barrier for me to love my family well because I started realizing all these things in my life, like, oh, not even the like, obviously noticeable things that were bad, but the small little things that ended up being dysfunctional. It started getting frustrating. It's like, <laughs> why would they do this? Right? These are the questions that, that I came up with. It was really hard for me to love my family. Maybe you, some of you grew up in families where there just was a lot of pressure from your parents, whether spoken or unspoken. And that could be tough. Where this perfectionist household uh, kind of is put on you to achieve things and accomplish things and do things well. And all of a sudden, like, because you, maybe you're running around and living a life that you don't want to disappoint your parents who maybe you, like, have a good relationship with or you know they love you and you love them, but you're walking on eggshells because you don't want to disappoint them. Like, that's not super healthy. There's ways to have intentional conversation and love them well so that you can have healthy relationships. I mean, divorce is something. Bitterness with a parent who maybe hurt your other parent. There's intergenerational trauma that I won't even get into that plays into it when a family member, grandparent, aunt, parent, sibling has unhealed trauma that ultimately seeps into the rest of the relationships. And then in that forms frustration and tension and awkwardness and an unknowing how to really deal with one another and talk with one another. And it creates this confusion on how do we have relationship? And then you don't know what to do. And then it's just easier just to step away and separate versus really step in as followers of Jesus and love our family well. Some of you, as I'm talking about this, like, this is hard. Because maybe things are getting brought up like, yep, this is where the toxicity was in my relationships and with my parents and with my siblings. Some of you, maybe for the first time, realizing, oh, maybe my family wasn't great. (laughs) My goal is not to point out that all of our families are terrible. (laughs) I don't want that to get across. My goal is to point out there will become a time, and maybe it's now for you, maybe it's later, like, y'all, any of y'all want to get married, when you get married, you'll start to see some interesting family dynamics come into play and what it looks like to love your in-laws or love your family well because now your priorities have changed. But you still got to love your family well. Maybe some of you are getting images and things coming up like, man, I see how this, and I know as I talk tonight, as I finish up tonight, th- things will get brought up. I think images, moments, issues will get brought up like point to how difficult it might be for you to love your family well. My goal is not that we would compare stories because the difficulty in my family in loving my family well has nothing to do with the difficulty of how Dylan is, is able to love his family well or should love his family well. It's to recognize, yep, there are moments that make this hard and that's okay. But the call and command of Jesus is to help us and push us forward 
and loving our family even when it's difficult. And not even when it's difficult, even when things are going well. And so tonight, as, as we're gonna walk through Colossians 3 and the text on what this says. So if you're Bible, you can open up there. If you have your phone, open it up there. We'll walk through Colossians 3. And for you, no matter where you're coming from, no matter the family um, situation that you have, tonight, the one thing I ask is that you'd be open and humble to the Holy Spirit's move and ask, okay, maybe for some of you, you're gonna be taking the first step in what it looks like to love your family well. And it's taking one thing of, all right, I feel like God's asked me to do this one thing to take that first step in loving my family well. Maybe for some of you, it's just, what is the next step? But God has something for you in order to go back to love your family, the people you've been given, not the ones you've chosen, and to love them as Jesus would love them. I'm gonna pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. There's a reality, um, maybe obvious for, for some of us and not obvious for others, that um, it can be really difficult to love our family well for a multitude of reasons, multi, a multitude of whys. But God, I thank you that in the midst of it being difficult, you don't leave us alone with wondering how we can love family well, with sitting in our own frustration and anger and bitterness and shame and guilt. But you give us and show us and lead us into a path forward, into a way forward. And so as we go through your word, as we go through Colossians 3, do God allow your word to do only what it can do, to speak to our soul, to encourage our heart, to remind us of your goodness and your character, and to help us in this endeavor of what it looks like for us to step into and to love family well, no matter where we're coming from. Thank you that you lead and guide. Holy Spirit, continue to do so. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, that's the bad news. <laughs> that's the challenge. It can be really hard to love our family. It can be really, really hard to love our family well because we're navigating as young adults, and I am still a young adult, I will say that probably till I die. It can be really difficult for us because we're navigating our own dysfunction and our own unhealth. We're living on our own. You become independent. Like, that's the challenge. And a lot of the things that we notice of, of why we are the way we are is the families that we grew up in. And so some trauma or wounds or things that make it really difficult to have relationship with one another was caused sometimes from our family. So that's the challenge. Here's the comfort. Here's, here's the good news a little bit. Jesus cares about your most important relationships. Jesus cares about your familiar relationships. And here's why. Because he cares about you, period. Period. And because he cares about you, he shows us a way, even in the most difficult situ situations of loving family well, how to move forward and how to do it well. That's the comfort. He cares. He does. And he gives us his word to help us move forward. We can invite Jesus into these relationships. We can cry out to him and ask for help. So I'm going to read Colossians 3, 18 through 22, and then I'm going to jump to, to chapter 4, verse 1. And this is Paul's instructions to Christian households. Literally, he's speaking out and writing to the church at Colossae. He gives some beautiful theological uh, uh, just identity of who Jesus really is in the first chapter. He lays out beautifully redemption through Jesus and only Jesus. He lays out beautifully that through Jesus, the dominion of darkness is erased and defeated and the kingdom of light has come. Uh, and then he lays out at the beginning of chapter three how you can have a new life. You are made new in Jesus and you are made alive in Christ. And here's what this looks like. And then immediately after that, he says, Christian households, here's how you are to operate with one another. 
It's made alive in Christ. How to live out this godly life? Christian households. This is very important, and we'll get to why I laid it out like that. This is Paul's words to the church of Colossae. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. I'm going to make my kids memorize that one. (laughs) Fathers, do not embitter your children. Then they're going to make me uh, memorize this one. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eyes on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And this is chapter four, verse one. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And so Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, to those who are followers of Jesus. In your household, there are these types of relationships. Here's how I want you to operate with one another. Now, how this is gonna happen, we're gonna jump back to Colossians 3.12, but not yet. Because I'm gonna give you a little quick context on why he uses the words he does. I say quick, we know it's not gonna be quick. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh to them. Um, Contextually, if we know anything about who Paul is, we have to keep in mind how he talks about relationships and marriage in other letters. In Ephesians 5, Paul lays out also relationships of Christian households, how marriages are supposed to work, how parenting relationships are supposed to work. And in that Ephesians 5, he also says, wives, submit to your husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. But before he says either of those two things, he gives us context on what this looks like. In in chapter 5, verse 21, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he says, wives, submit to husbands. Husbands, love your wife. The context for Paul in a marriage of what it looks like to have a healthy marriage, first and foremost, is laid on the foundation of mutual submission. And here's why this is important. What Paul is not saying here is that the wife is a subordinate, is an inferior number two role in the family. If that was the case, Paul would have wrote, wives, obey your husbands. He doesn't write that. Paul has a high view of what marriage is. Women, children, slaves were second-class citizens in this time. They weren't seen on the same level as men were. And so for Paul, first in Ephesians, say, submit to one another, that's big. Uh, And then to say to the husband, husband, love your wife and do not be harsh to her, is to say, listen, you need to treat your wife unlike everyone else here in the Greco-Roman world is treating their wives, and you need to treat them fairly and justly and like a partner and an equal, not a subordinate. So you really want to love your wife well? Treat your wife as Jesus would treat her? Wife, you want to love and honor your husband well? Treat and honor your husband, not like the rest of the Greco-Roman world would, but as Jesus would love your husband? Children, obey your parents because it pleases the Lord. Parents, instead of just bossing your kids around all the time, Instead of just continually over and over telling them what to do, don't enrage them. Don't embitter them. Don't give them cause for frustration. Slaves, and he's writing this because the reality is there were, there were slaves in this time. He's writing this not because he approves of slavery. If you don't believe me, read, read uh, the, book, the letter of Philemon. 
gives a good indication of Paul's view on slavery. He's anti. But he writes this to slaves and masters because that was a relationship in the Christian household. He says, slaves, obey your master. Do what your master says, not just to earn favor, but because you love the Lord. Master, this was a hard command right here for Paul to say to anyone who owned a slave. Master, treat your slave fairly and justly because you too have a master in heaven, meaning treat your slave like you are equal, unlike the rest of the world is treating slaves. And the reality is in this time, um, slavery didn't look like what it did in Southern uh, America a couple hundred years back. Um, slaves were seen more as citizens than they were than what we did in our history of slavery, but there was still harshness. There was still abuse. So Paul is reorienting and rewriting way of how do we operate in the household? How do we actually really care and, and, and live life together? And ultimately what Paul is doing in this text is without a shadow of a doubt, he's telling us in this passage that Jesus comes and dwells amidst our closest relationships. Wives relate to your husbands. Submit to your husbands as is fitting for the Lord. Children obey your parents for it pleases the Lord. Slaves, serve your master as you serve the Lord. What he's saying is you need to in every relationship, yes, but even in the household relationships, even in the relationships that were given to you, not that you chosen, how do you prioritize Jesus first? Brennan said it this way in the last couple of weeks. How do you make Jesus everything in every aspect of your life, in every relationship? So you prioritize Jesus first and foremost by seeing the relationships that you have with your siblings, with your cousins, aunt and uncles, with your parents, through the eyes of how Jesus sees those people. You ask Jesus what he's doing in the other person's life, then join him in that effort. You feel Jesus relating to you through the image of each and every one of these relationships. You ask, man, does Jesus love them? Yes. Does Jesus extend grace, mercy, and forgive them? Yes. In every one of these relationships, what Paul is doing and what he's covering is he's bringing, and the importance of how you are to operate in a Christian household is you bring every relationship in your family into a relationship with Jesus. And now what I'm not saying is you have to share the gospel. You should, and that'd be great. Share the gospel and let them know Jesus. What he's saying, no matter how you operate, operate in the way that allows Jesus to be at the center of that relationship. See them through the eyes of Jesus. How do we do this well? This is what's tough. And what I love about how Paul wrote this letter is he, again, I'll say it again, in Colossians 3, 12 through 17, which is what we're gonna go through next, he writes, here's how you are to live. This is what a godly life in Christ looks like. And immediately after, he says, all right, Christian households, here's how you are to operate with one another. Bring Jesus into your relationships. Love each other well. Love each other the way that the culture is not loving each other. And if I'm thinking about that, I sit that and I, and I hear that. And if I'm reading this letter as the one who was in this church, I'd be like, how am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to be so countercultural? None of the other masters treat their slaves like that. None of the other husbands treat their wives like that. None of the other parents treat their kids like that. How am I supposed to do this? And if it was Paul, I'd just see if Paul was sitting in there and hearing these questions, he'd say, go back and look up at the, at the five verses before this. You want to know how? You prioritize Jesus. How do you prioritize Jesus? Look at Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. So here we go. We're going to run through these, maybe. We'll see. Uh, number one, persevere by the Holy Spirit. So Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
And there's a reason I say persevere by the Holy Spirit. Because a lot of times, not even in our friendships, but especially in our familial relationships, what we try to do is we try to be gentle and kind and humble in our own strength and in our own power. He says, you who are holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with gentleness. It is a, it is a, a little bit of an ask to be compassionate and kind and humble and gentle. And what Paul is doing is referring back to Galatians where he laid out beautifully what the fruit of the Spirit are. And so when he says, be compassionate and humble and kind and gentle and patient, he already knows, based off of one, who Paul is, that you can't do that on your own. He's saying, I need you to bear the fruit that you are not able to bear, but only which the Holy Spirit can bear out of you. Right? Galatians 5, it tells us, these are the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are only things that we can do and operate well in by the power and through the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. They're the only things that we, we can't. Not really well. We can try, but ultimately fail to be really gentle and kind and compassionate with our family. But he's saying, because you're holy, dearly loved, clothe yourself with these things. Persevere by the Holy Spirit. Allow the Spirit to do its work in you so that those things can flow out of you. Prioritize your relationship with Jesus. Persevere by the Holy Spirit. Um, my wife, anybody have younger siblings like, that are annoying and like, hard to deal with, right? Are, are you the younger sibling? That, uh, my wife has one younger brother and they fought all the time. Like, I think she punched him multiple times. I'm pretty sure. My wife is like a super gentle person. So the first time she told me that she punched someone, I laughed at her face because I didn't believe it. But they fought all the time. Why? Because little brothers can be annoying. Like, they can be really, really, like, annoying. Um, we have four kids. We have three boys and one girl. What we notice is that the annoying thing isn't a little brother thing. It's just a kid thing. Uh, there are moments over the last month, my son Wesley, who is eight years old, has evoked feelings in my wife. And they weren't feelings that she had felt uh, for a long time. And they were feelings similar to the ones where she felt like when she wanted to punch her brother because he was being annoying. And she'll look at me and she'll get so frustrated sometimes and she'll be like, I, she not, she, she's not evil. She's an amazing human being. She'll never punch her son. I'm just saying, she all of a sudden has got these feelings of like, I want to punch my kid because he's being annoying. She'd never do it. But to persevere in her own strength, to try to be compassionate and gentle and kind and humble with our son, to do that on her own, here's what happens. And this happens to me too. When I try to be patient with my kid and it's in my own strength and not relying on the Holy Spirit, what ends up happening is I just get frustrated because eventually I'm just trying to gut out being patient with him and I get mad and I yell at him. See, to persevere by the Holy Spirit is not just gutting it out. That's to persevere in our own strength to be compassionate in our own strength. But to be reliant on the Holy Spirit, to persevere by the Holy Spirit is to have the mind of Christ and it means laying down our own strength so that the strength of the Holy Spirit can rise up within us. I needed this word when I was dealing with my own mom. It was really hard for me to be compassionate with my mom because she put herself in situations where she got hurt, where she was in pain, and it was time and time again that she was putting herself in these situations. And so I went through years of trying to build up compassion and, and, and be with her and feel for her and be next to her. And I just couldn't do it because I was trying to do it in my own strength. 
I wasn't relying and persevering in the Holy Spirit to lay down my strength to be able to say, no, God, I can't be compassionate right now. It's hard for me to be humble and gentle right now. I need your help. I don't know how to do it. Some of you, this may become a lot easier with your family than others, and that's okay. That's good. Persevere by the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit's strength to allow the fruit of the Holy Spirit to bear in your relationships. How, one way this happens is number three, put on love. Colossians 3.14, over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. And very simply this, to put on love is this, is to ask your question, do I really desire God's best for my family? It's also changed how I related to my family. Because a lot of time, I would say for the first probably eight years of being a follower of Jesus, how I related to my family was I forced myself to be there, to be loving, to be compassionate because I thought by doing so, they would change, therefore making the relationship easier for me. And all of a sudden, it got easier to be compassionate and humble and gentle and kind and loving when I started asking myself the question, do I actually really desire God's best for this person or do I just want the relationship to be easier for me? So ask yourself, no matter where you're at with your family, do I really desire God's best for my family? That is what it is to put on love. Next one, practice forgiveness. Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgives the Lord, forgive you. Not gonna spend a lot of time in here because go back and listen to Brendan's sermon from last week is literally his takeaway. Go listen to it. Learn to live a lifestyle of Forgiveness. To ask and receive. Jesus gets asked, uh, how often should I forgive someone? And he gives this ridiculous number and there's a lot of interpretation of this. And one, one interpreter says seven times seven is the amount of times you should forgive. One says seven times 70. One says seven times 700. And the whole point of it is to throw out this ridiculous number because Jesus is saying it's not the, about the amount of times you forgive someone. It's about a lifestyle and disposition of forgiveness because there are going to be things in your life and relationship with your life, especially with family, where over and over again, you're going to run into the same thing that you've already forgiven them for that you have to forgive them for again. Because it's not about how many times. It's about a lifestyle of it. You want to have healthy relationships just in general? Learn the art and lifestyle of forgiveness. Because in your relationships, you'll have moments where you experience pain and hurt, where you hurt someone and someone hurts you. And forgiveness is not just the key to make it work. Forgiveness is a command of Jesus to operate in love in those relationships, especially with your family. Practice forgiveness and you can forgive because God has forgiven you. Next one, pursue reconciliation while embracing boundaries. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace. This idea of peace of Christ is to continue to operate in such a way that you are to be ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation, which is what God calls us as followers of Jesus. That in every relationship you have, especially, I say especially family, but that's because we're talking about, in every relationship you have, pursue reconciliation. I'll go back to the previous point. Practice forgiveness. Forgiveness is the command. Reconciliation is the goal. Forgiveness is the command. Because what forgiveness does is it alleviates weight that you no longer have to carry by saying, I'm not going to allow what you did to hurt me to weigh me down anymore. What reconciliation does is says, all right, I'm going to try now pursue after I've forgiven. I'm going to try to pursue this relationship and pursue peace with you. 
as far as it is possible. Romans 12, 18 gives a great example and way of what it looks like to actually pursue reconciliation while still embracing boundaries well. Because some of us need boundaries. Some of you need to set up some hard, give your permission to set up some hard boundaries with family members who continue to hurt you. Some of you need to set up some emotional, physical, whatever it may be, boundaries with some of your family members. Be clear about them. Give the why behind them. But you need to set them. Romans 12, 18 says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So if it's possible. Sometimes there are relationships in our life where one, again, the command is forgiveness. The goal is reconciliation. If it's possible, there's some relationship in your life that will not be reconciled. That won't. But as far as it depends on you, whatever you can do, pursue reconciliation. Do what you can to pursue peace with that person. And that looks different in every relationship. I've set different boundaries with parents, um, with aunts and uncles. I set, a, I set a social media boundary with one of my aunts recently, which I never thought I'd be, have to do. I'm serious. Sounds weird. You can come talk to me and ask me about it later. I'm not, but that's real. But what pursuing reconciliation does is at least get you to a spot to say, okay, forgiveness doesn't mean the relationship has to be perfect or look maybe what it was or what I want it to be or what they want it to be. Forgiveness says, I'm not going to allow the hurt and pain that you caused me. I'm going let to let Jesus take the weight off of me, the burden off of me. I'm not going to carry that around anymore. That's what forgiveness is. Reconciliation says, all right, what does it look like to have peace? As far as it depends on you, it's got to be a two-way street. If they don't want it, if they don't admit fault, it can't be reconciliation. If you don't want it, if you can't admit fault, it can't be reconciliation. The goal is reconciliation. Pursue it as you can, when you can. Embracing the boundaries that are necessary to keep you healthy and the ones you love healthy. This has looked very different for me as someone who was single as a follower of Jesus and someone who got married and had kids as a follower of Jesus. I don't have time to get into that. If you want to know, come talk to me. I'll talk to you about it. Last one, team, you can come up. Uh, Colossians 3.17 says this. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father Almighty. Number six, pray gratefully. An attitude, oh, this is so cheesy, attitude of gratitude. I wouldn't even plan on saying that. How cheesy is that? But that is real. That will change your life. Gratitude will change your life, especially when it comes to your family. Because for family, what comes really easy to do is to complain and to grumble about them because you know everything about them. So it's easy to find those things that are to point out and say, here's where they're wrong here, here's where they're missing here, here's where they're failing here. What's hard sometimes for some of us is to find what I can be grateful for in my family. But this is always something that we can pursue, whether we're in a great relationship with family or in an unhealthy relationship with family. You can always find things to be grateful for. Always. Always. Man, it's really easy to, for me and Abby to be grateful for her family. It just is. And there are things, again, like I say, like they, they suck the conflict, just period. But man, it's easy to find where we can be grateful. They're generous. God, thank you. Oh, Thank you that my kids get to see grandparents who love you. It's easy to find things to be grateful for with my wife's family. It's a little harder for mine, but it's possible. And very for me, sometimes it started simply with, God, thank you that you allowed my parents to meet so I could have life. 
Didn't know if you know that. I'm not here if my parents don't meet. You too. God, thank you that in the good times and the bad, you were always present. For some of you, maybe it's just simple tonight, a simple prayer of just, God, thank you that I have a family who knows and loves you. And for you others, swear, God, thank you that you've given me an opportunity to love you and show your love to my family who doesn't know you. Man, allow gratefulness to be a part of every day of your life. It'll change how you see people. It'll change how you operate with people. It'll change how you even see God's movement in your relationships with your family. Father, we thank you for tonight. Father, we do thank you for family. The hard moments and the joyous ones. The hurtful moments and the happy ones. God, I ask right now that as every single college student, young adult here and watching online, as you have just like lifted up and, and, and placed things on their own souls and hearts of, uh, throughout tonight, I would ask for whether it's their first step in loving their family or their next step in loving their family, would you just give them clarity right now in this moment on what that looks like and what that can be now? Maybe it's pursuing forgiveness and forgiving. Maybe it's embracing the challenge to pursue peace and reconciliation with a family member. Maybe it's setting boundaries while still desiring reconciliation. Maybe it's sitting and being grateful. To be able to say, even though we don't understand some of the things that have happened in our life, to be able to pray gratitude truly is able to say, God, you have worked all things together for my good and your glory. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're present. Holy Spirit, thank you that you move. We love you. Praise you in Jesus' name.